I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. This is Jake Devereaux. I just wanted to let you guys know before you listen to this podcast that it was recorded uh, on Monday night. However, um, we had some technical difficulties with our recording software and we weren't able to download the episode until uh, today. So today is Thursday night. So uh, the first part of this podcast, we'll be talking about previewing the Yankee series. Obviously, that series did not go uh, as we planned it to, um, but the rest of the podcast still remains very relevant. Um, It's myself and Bob Osgood talking about uh, the Red Sox roster and bullpen and and a bunch of other good stuff, including the new uh, ranking of the Red Sox system uh, by Baseball America. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Apologize about the delay. um, And uh, yeah, enjoy listening. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 228 of the show is Bob Osgood. Bob, what's going on, man? Jake, not much. It's been a while. How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing very well. Uh, Excited to have you on the show. I think, is this your first time on this show in particular? I did one with uh, Keaton about a month back. Uh, okay. While you were out for a week or two, so this is the first Jake and Bob bread seat. So I'm very right. excited. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're happy to have you. For those of you who listen to this show and are unfamiliar with Bob, Bob uh, hosts the Red Sox on Deck podcast here at Over the Monster. So focusing on minor league prospects uh, with Shelly Verstrait over there. It's a great podcast. Um, if you want to listen to that one, all you have to do is subscribe to this podcast and you'll get that other one in your feed too. So just check it out. Um, you can also find Bob's work at The Dynasty Guru and you can find him at Over the Monster. He's a writer there as well. So Bob, let's get into it today. What we're going to talk about, uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff to cover. We have some roster moves that have been made by the Red Sox. Uh, so we're going to discuss those. We're going to discuss uh, where they sit in the, the standings after this last week. Uh, Keaton and I talked quite a bit about how the sky was falling last time, so things are a little bit better now. Um, And then we'll get into listener questions and and talking about the bullpen a little bit. So let's start right off. Um, Since last week's podcast, the Red Sox played a frustrating series against the Tampa Bay Rays before sweeping the lowly Baltimore Orioles. Um, They're 4-2 since we last recorded the show. 
As just a Red Sox fan, Bob, what is your uh, temperature level with this team right now? I, I assume that it was, well, we texted. It was through the roof uh, last time we talked. But how are you feeling about this club right now? Yeah, I, I think over the last week they did what I expected them to do. They went 4-2, and two, home against the Rays and um, against Baltimore. I think they took care of business, which was good to see against Baltimore, but that team is just a mess, and I would have been disappointed for anything short of a sweep at home. Uh, you know, I think earlier in the year I might have been hoping for 5-1, and one, but just off of the, the two-week stretch that they had just had, and my temperature on the on deck pod where I went on about a 10-minute rant the other day, I think I've cooled off a little bit since that. It's good to see some wins. It's good to see the offense going. They scored 20, 16, and 8 in three of those wins. Um, so I have, you know, fewer sky is falling concerns than I did a week ago, especially with some of the big hitters in the lineup like JD and Xander specifically, who I think look healthy and back to themselves so I feel confident about that we had a certain left-handed pitcher that came back too so feel slightly better than I did a week ago yeah you know it's amazing what uh adding Chris Sale and Kyle Schwarber uh can do to you know lower the temperature in the room as it comes to freaking out about your baseball team um still felt like though watching both of those series that the Red Sox left a whole lot of runs on the table uh, in both of those series, but in particular, you know, against Baltimore, it felt like some of those games should have been, you know, nine to one after three innings or something like that. With, uh, you know, the the amount of runners that were still being stranded uh, with with runners in scoring position, even bases loaded situations, there were a whole lot more squanders uh, than I wanted, even with the success that they were able to have. Yeah, and and that's been going on for about two and a half to three weeks now for sure um yeah i i think that looking at the schedule i mean hopefully they can beat up on some of these teams that are just like baltimore uh you know you see texas coming up there's more games with baltimore remaining obviously there's a huge three game set that's coming up here but definitely still seeing some runners left on base and as a whole you know over the last three weeks there's you know both with some of the roster management that i'm sure we'll talk about as well as the runners in scoring position there's there's a lot of improvement that they still need to make for sure yep a lot of stuff they can do better um let's get into that upcoming series though so uh the red sox sit in the standings three games behind the Rays for first place uh that's pretty good feeling feeling better about that but they're still just two and a half games ahead of the yankees and four and a half up on the jays um, Red Sox are starting a very important series against the Yankees uh, on Tuesday. There's a doubleheader on Tuesday, and then there's a third game on Wednesday. Uh, pitching matchups seem pretty favorable for the Red Sox in this one. So they've got Evaldi versus Gill. They have Hauk versus Montgomery. And Nick Pavetta versus Andrew Haney. How do you see this matchup going uh, between the Red Sox and Yankees over these two days? Yeah, I think it's a, a slight favor to the Red Sox. Um, you know, they've had the Yankees number overall this year and they haven't seemed intimidated playing in Yankee Stadium but it's certainly a different team that we're going to see uh the Pavetta Heaney matchup does not worry me on Wednesday I think Heaney has not looked good all year he's not he's looked pretty terrible overall in New York in a couple of those starts uh I feel good any game that Hauk is throwing at this point but Montgomery has pitched well against the Red Sox in a couple of games this year too and then the new guy, uh, Gill, or Heel, I think is how he pronounces it, has had two awesome starts. I don't know if he's given up a run yet. Um, and I think that matchup against Ivaldi is going to be great. So I think the doubleheader, especially you throw the, the seven-inning wrinkle into things, which might be better, actually, the game that Hauk throws. If they can get him, that shortens the game with him throwing in the doubleheader. Yeah. I think they can split tomorrow, uh, being Tuesday, and take the Pavetta versus Heaney game on Wednesday. I do think they can win two out of three. Um, but, you know, it's a different New York team than what we've seen this year. Yeah, that's for sure. I agree with you, though, that those those first two pitching matchups are a lot closer than maybe they look on paper. And, yeah, I, I guess Gil pronounces it heel. That's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> uh, Eovaldi versus heel, though, is going to be a, a kind of an interesting matchup. I'm looking forward to see uh, the type of stuff that he has uh, thrown against Eovaldi. So 
Um, especially with the Red Sox bats not ever having seen him. It'll be interesting to see how they react to him in Montgomery. You're right, has been tough all, all year long against the Red Sox. So, you know, if they can take those first two games, uh, that having Pavetta versus Haney would feel like a sweep is very much in hand. Yep. So we'll see. Um, different, though, I mean, the Yankees, they are going to have Joey Gallo for this series, um, but he's been... Pretty bad, hitting under 200 since he's arrived uh, for the Yankees. So uh, that could be a good thing, or it could be meaning that he's due to actually cause some damage. But they will be without Anthony Rizzo, still on the COVID IL. I I feel like that's a good thing, but then Luke Voigt's back in the lineup now. So, I mean, how worried are you about their offense? It seems like the Yankees' offense has been much better as of late. Yeah, in in New York, even more so. I, Gallo is at a slow start for them, average wise, but I think still think he's going to be a beast there. I think a, a full season next year with a short porch, he could hit, I don't know, forty five home runs. I mean, the the pop up game winning home run he hit last week. You know, I think if that was at Fenway, and they were in the shift, that the second baseman might have gone back and caught it, and it <laughs> it went out to right to win the game. So I just think you're going to see a lot of crap like that. Um, and, of course, he'll hit some tape measure shots as well, but they're a different team with a, a left-handed hitter like him there and will be next year. Um, yeah, with Rizzo, it sounds like he's going to work out on Tuesday, so I don't think we'll see him for the doubleheader, um, but could see him for one game on Wednesday, mm-hmm. which will be an interesting dynamic because Schwarber will be in the lineup, uh, and Rizzo, if he's back on Wednesday, that's going to be a really interesting game with both teams at full strength. Yeah, that is going to be really interesting. Um, I I still I, I still feel like Rizzo would have been the right move for this club, but I am convinced Schwarber's the better hitter at this point in their careers. I haven't gotten to talk to you about that. The Red Sox not making the move to to pay up and get Rizzo. Did were you in favor of them adding Rizzo to this team, or do you like the fact that they went out and got the better hitter in Schwarber? Yeah, that was the name I kept landing on. And if I knew, I I didn't think they were going to go over the luxury tax, so it seemed that we um, that it was unlikely. But then when I saw that the Cubs were paying his salary and that it would be two prospects, you know, maybe that Aldo Ramirez plus a, a lesser prospect like New York had had paid in return, that was the move for me, both offensively, defensively, um, in the clubhouse, and I just think I. A player who was initially with the Red Sox anyways kind of coming back I, I just thought it was a perfect fit not to mention the two weeks that we could have bought at the beginning there not expecting COVID or anything like that where could you have seen that coming uh, for Rizzo to be out for that entire time but it just seemed like that was the player that they should have gone after provided that Chicago was paying his salary yeah, I'm in total agreement with you there. Um, hopefully Rizzo has used this time well to do his own research into whether or not he should be getting the COVID vaccine. So he's uh, still on the fence after getting it twice. <laughs> um, so one of the other wrinkles to this series is the Yankees' bullpen. Uh, back of their bullpen has been an absolute mess. Um, you know, Roldis Chapman down with injury. Zach Britton literally removing himself from the role. Um, that could be a big X factor here because a lot of these Red Sox-Yankees games tend to be kind of close at the end. Yeah, I'm surprised that they don't just close with Chad Green. And I, I, I think of the Sunday night game where he wasn't against the Red Sox, I don't believe, but he threw three innings and got nine outs in about 25 pitches it seemed like I'm not sure exactly what it was but uh, I feel like they should just put Green in that role they they seem to like to have him bounce around throw the most important outs but just the end of the game has has been a mess and Britain's a bit of a mess and you gotta like Luizage as well but he's the one that gave up the five runs in the the no-hitter game against the Red Sox so he's prone to blow-ups as well it looks like Chapman might return later in the week I don't know if it'll be within the series but I I think they should close with green, but um, I think the Red Sox will have a rested bullpen. The Yankees are playing tonight in a makeup game, Monday night against the Angels. Um, you know, the bullpen's pretty rested outside. I know Barnes threw an inning on Sunday, but he should be ready. Uh, Whitlock 
probably will only throw one game because they don't really go back-to-back with him, so he could throw either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, you know, I know Adovino had a bit of an injury scare yesterday, so we'll see what ends up happening there. But I think the, the Sox have that, that bullpen aspect that could be really big in this series. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Cora has been vocal lately as to saying at this point in the season he is open to using Whitlock and back-to-backs too. So we might even be able to see him in a rare back-to-back appearance depending on how things shake out. But, you know, his, his workload... It does worry me a little bit um, coming off Tommy John surgery. So hopefully they'll continue to be conservative uh, with him. Yeah. Um, Josh Taylor, though, he's a guy who will not in all likelihood uh, appear in this series against the Yankees. Uh, He's in COVID protocols right now. Um, It doesn't mean a ton, but usually, I mean, we saw this happen with Jaron Duran and J.D. Martinez. They missed a couple games being in COVID protocols. So even even if uh, they end up coming back negative, uh, Josh Taylor comes back negative, he still is in all likelihood going to miss this series. Yeah, and exactly what you said there with Duran and Martinez, it, they were similar and they missed maybe two days. So my hope would be that they can get them back at least for a game if it's just a contract contact tracing situation. But yeah, I mean, that's a key lefty. And with Darwin's in on the, the IL, they don't have a whole lot from the left side when Taylor isn't there, so that would certainly be a big loss. Hopefully they can have him back for at least one game during the series if he you know, turns out to be negative there. So you're not a big Austin Davis guy? <sighs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I it's fine. You know, it, it's another arm, and yeah. uh, it's not Hansel Robles, and it's not Matt Andrees. Um, and, he, and he has an option, and, you know, I think that probably the the Chavis trade it was just kind of about that time for them to move on there and and had a little I think they probably looked at the first and second base depth that they had had there and felt that maybe they needed another arm but I wouldn't say I'm counting on him down the stretch or in the playoffs or anything like that you know what it it makes me happier to see him come into games than it did Michael Chavis so (laughs) to swing at three high fastballs and take a seat I understand I always rooted for Chavis but um I think the time had come. Yeah, he was a much better interview than he was baseball player. Right. So, um, all right, let's get into um, who we're not going to see. We're not going to see Chris Sale during this series either. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. He made his debut against Baltimore. We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, I want to focus on the Sox decision to break him in the way that they did. So they chose to have him face Baltimore and line up against Texas on Friday, two bottom barrel teams with pretty poor offenses, rather than face Tampa Bay and then New York in this series, which he could have conceivably been lined up to do. Um, what do you think about that decision from, you know, I don't know who went into making it, probably some combination of Cora, Sale, and uh, baseball ops, but do you think it was the right decision? Yeah, and I'd be surprised if uh, Sale was in favor of throwing one more minor league start. Um, I would even <laughs> send it a week prior to that, Jake. Um, he threw the the Saturday before the Toronto series, and they had an opportunity to have him throw Friday the 6th against Toronto on five days rest, and then the 12th against Tampa the following Thursday on five days rest, not even just four. He would have had five with both of those. And then New York on the 18th on Wednesday. So he could have lined up for Toronto, Tampa, and New York. And instead he faced uh, Scranton, Baltimore, and Texas. And <laughs> just doesn't have the same weight for me. And even, I ranted about this a little bit on the On Deck pod, so I apologize if anyone's hearing this twice. But even after they had lost three, four games at the beginning of that disastrous stretch, you can change course you know he didn't need to ride through the hills on the bus and go to the triple a game which i'm sure was a great experience for those minor leaguers but we could have used that intensity and leadership with the big league club at that point he threw 90 pitches in his last minor league game i would rather he had thrown 90 pitches against toronto in that first game and then seen tampa and new york and those are just three huge division games that um you know you're four out behind the Rays in the loss column. You're only one in the loss column ahead of New York. 
Toronto's dropped off a little bit, but obviously we saw what happened there. Like, th- there was not enough urgency in bringing him back, and he had still thrown five minor league appearances, and he was up to 90 pitches, and it was time to go, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if you asked Chris Sale what he would have preferred to do, uh, you know, you would have got the answer that you predicted, that he would have liked to face all those teams. I think in this instance, if I had to guess why this decision was made, it's just to protect Chris Sale from himself. Yeah. Um, they didn't want him probably going out and overthrowing and, you know, coming out and throwing 99 on the first fastball, you know, against Vlad Jr. or something like that. Um, I get it, but from a fan standpoint and from a needing these games, uh, needing these division games, I totally agree with you. I was disappointed that they didn't uh, bring him back when they had the opportunity to a little bit earlier. Um, but, you know, on the positive side of things, when he did pitch against Baltimore, I thought he looked really good. Um, in particular, I thought his fastball looked pretty solid. Um, change up, he had a good feel for it, which was nice to see. That's you know, not always the case when you're off for an extended period of time. Uh, and then the slider uh, was was vintage uh, for me. So I'm curious to see how how he looked to you. Yeah, and that last part, the, the slider, I mean, it was just great. He was getting called strikes with it and um, a ton of movement on it. And, yeah, I mean, his fastball was not topping out at some of the numbers that we'd seen in the minor league guns. I think he was closer to... 94 95 at least in the um the, the portion of the game that i was watching but the, the the slider looked great you know he missed spots a little bit and i think that that's to be expected in the first season coming back i think his command will be even better next year um you know gave up a couple of home runs which was fine they were both solo shots he didn't walk anybody that was the most important thing and yeah i was very happy with what i saw and I don't know. Sale day is back. You know, when you see that <laughs> yeah. on the schedule, you're watching. And I just, yep. that feeling on Saturday, I went out of my way to make sure I was in front of a TV for the first inning when Sale was back, you know, on a on a summer weekend. Just, you have to make it happen. And it's just, it's a totally different feeling. And you could tell with, in the post game, the way that he was talking, you know that this game had been taken away from him for two years and he had a hole in his chest and all the things that he was saying it's just like the other guys in the locker room are going to be hearing that and they've got their leader back at least on the staff in the rotation yeah i think uh the attitude he brings to the team is infectious even to the the position players so it's it's a huge lift uh to get a guy like that back um what did you think about the this i think it was the first home run that sale allowed when Vasquez called back-to-back change-ups in that at bat. Did you think that that was questionable by Vasquez, or I mean, what what was your your thought on that? Yeah, I guess I I hadn't thought about it. Um, I don't know. I trust Vasquez back there. Is what <laughs> it comes down to, and I I feel that he is a really experienced, smart catcher. I mean, maybe it's that's the kind of thing that he hasn't worked with him in a couple of years, and it's right. a learning experience and. Hey, you had the learning experience in a six nothing game against Baltimore, and not in October. But um, I, I hadn't really thought too much into it, and I, I trust the game that Vasquez calls. Yeah, I think Eck was freaking out a little bit about it. So that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was, I, I had that one on mute. I did catch Eck yesterday when he was on fire, just royally offended by both the umpires and uh, <laughs> the pitching staff of the Baltimore Orioles that. Uh, you don't want to come out throwing salad and missing uh, your spots with with Eck calling the game. He was he was extra fired up on Sunday, so well, he's got to have it. He's got to have all of them. <laughs> yeah, they had a couple three run Johnsons yesterday that uh, he was pretty excited about. So yeah, I always uh, I, I like when Eck's in the booth because uh, yeah. my favorite thing is parachutes, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotta that. have it's great. I mean, I think he still mentally is is on the mound when these games are happening. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's like a little kid up there in the booth. He's great. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, So moving on from Chris Sale here, we have an old friend coming back to Boston. Uh, Some of you might say we buried the lead here. Uh, (laughs) Travis Shaw, mayor of Ding Dong City, uh, was claimed off waivers from the Brewers. He's a lefty bat that can play first base. Um, Where do you think he fits with this team? He was activated today. 
uh, corresponding moves, uh, two, two moves that happened. Uh, Wong was sent down. Um, and then also um, Franchi Cordero, who just never really got it going this year, uh, was sent down as well. So clearly they're expecting to give Shaw some playing time. Yeah, it's it's a, a depth move. And it's also, I think it's fresh in our head that Dahlbeck played so well last week. But he has these great weeks and these off weeks. And I don't know. I mean, Shaw's hitting 191 this year. I'm not expecting him to come in and, uh, you know, dominate or anything like that. He's got a WRC plus a 68. But he might be a little bit rejuvenated, at least for a week or two. Coming back to Boston where he liked to play, um, has some history there, I think, knew Cora from growing up when his his father was in the clubhouse with Cora Um, so I think it's worth a shot I mean these other experiments aren't working whether it's Cordero or Marwin who we've moved on from or um, Santana it's just and we obviously Arroyo isn't going to be able to to play first he went about three innings doing that so I'm fine with it especially because it's a left-handed bat I'm not expecting a ton I'm expecting to start maybe once or twice a week until they can and if they give Schwarber a shot playing first base but uh, you know the rosters are going to expand in a couple of weeks and it's just giving someone else a shot here because the other things weren't working out so I, I don't yeah. hate it I'm not I don't have my high expectations though yeah I'm with you um I have some serious questions about whether he's got anything left. I think if he does have anything left, you know, this is the best place for him to extract that performance, considering all the good feels that he did have uh, when he was here. Um, He does say that he's healthy now. I guess he had some injury issues over the last few years. But, you know, I went back and I pulled the numbers from 2019 and through uh, this season so far, and uh, over 652 plate appearances, he has just 19 home runs, and a slash line of 191, 287, 331. Um, 331 is the thing that shocked me. You don't usually um, think of Travis Shaw and think of a 331 slugging percentage. Uh, that comes out to just a 66 WRC plus over the last three seasons. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a pretty low bar to clear. But the interesting thing is it's still, you know... Uh, at times has been better than what Dahlbeck has been giving you. So right. uh, that's kind of crazy. Um, but he does only have a 71 WRC plus against right-handed pitchers this season, uh, which I was surprised about because you think if he's coming in here left-handed bat, you'd be looking for him to kind of come in and do, do damage against righties and hold down that position defensively. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of opens up more questions to me about where um, – Schwarber's going to play too if you're bringing in a guy like Shaw. You know, how much are you expecting him to be at first base? Yeah. Uh, I I completely agree. I mean, he he like I said, I think it's just another option and they they couldn't let the Cordero uh experience go any longer. And I he has a decent glove and has some versatility. He's played some third base and some second base in the in the past. So, it's a depth move and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle for a week or two, either this month or next month, or gets a clutch Mitch Moreland three-run home, uh, three homer in October or something like that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, the, the numbers against against right-handed pitching are are not impressive either, so it could just be kind of a, a last-ditch shot for the, the 31-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm rooting for him. I hope, yeah. uh, I hope he comes in and hits, like, 350 over the last month and uh, turns into, you know, vintage Travis Shaw, but uh, not expecting a lot from him, uh, but it's a cool story nonetheless. Yeah. Um, speaking of Milwaukee, though, where he was from, when he when he where he came from, um, they'll play just about anybody at second base over there. It's like a beer league uh, softball team <laughs> with Hildo Rola at second base. So I don't know if I can give him credit for second base in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, right. That's <laughs> that's an emergency move for sure. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he's, he's got at least the athleticism of Michael Chavis. <laughs> I'm really bagging on Chavis this episode. I know. I know. Sorry. Do you want to bag on Hansel Robles instead? I would. I would like to. Um, okay. Yeah, so let's uh, let's let's talk about him. 
Is it true that his nickname is Big Fudge? <laughs> is it true that he comes out to the Undertaker theme song? I I don't know. Is it? Is it yes. true? Yeah, that's what he's been coming out to. You need to have better stuff than Hansel Robles to come out to the Undertaker theme song in Fenway Park. I'm sorry. What the hell does Big Fudge mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm afraid to Google it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't understand anything about Hansel Robles. That's the no. thing. Like, he's come into this pen, and I was thinking to myself, and when, when we made this move, I talked to Keaton on the pod, and I'm like, okay, um, there must be some analytical thing that we're not seeing. Like, um, right. Trying to think, Austin Bryce, like last year, Austin Bryce. Oh, his fastball plays up on on TrackMan data. Oh, okay, cool. What is it about Hansel Robles? Because he's come into games, and I've just been like, this guy's stuff is awful. Yeah, like, he just doesn't have it anymore. So, I mean, let's let's talk about Mr. Fudge here. Um, how is this guy still in the bullpen at this point with all the moves that they've been making? I, I don't see it. So I, I do just want to help you out. Austin Davis is big fudge. Oh, okay. Thank I, goodness. Yeah. So I had the guts to Google that, <laughs> and it said uh, for Mass Live, the Red Sox traded the ice horse for big fudge is the headline. So that well, was how Austin did he Davis. get the name big fudge? It said that his uh, friends back home call me that, and oh. I don't. I bet there's a really. Uh, gross story we don't want to know about yeah. why he's called Big Fudge. It's like something having to do with him breaking a chair. Alright, we'll we'll look at this later. Um, <laughs> I think I think Hansel Robles is here. I don't know if they start a brawl possibly. I mean, he in one outing gave up three hits and three runs and then the next outing gave up three hits and two runs and then in the outing after that he walked three. Um, I know he gave up a walk-off grand slam in the outing before he was traded here. I don't see him on any kind of playoff roster, whether it's for one game or five or seven games. Um, I just don't see the Undertaker theme song being on at Fenway in October, personally. I don't know what you yeah, think. Yeah, I really hope not. Yeah. it's It hasn't been good. Um, there are going to be you know some, some other bullpen arms that are going to be available soon. Uh, Ryan Brazier is rehabbing currently at AAA Worcester. Uh, names, or I should say, uh, stats uh, have not lived up to the name uh, so far for him. Um, pulling it up right now, uh, he's got an ERA somewhere north of 12 right now uh, for that club. Let's just see here. Um, oh, went too far. Here it is. Yeah, two two and two thirds innings, uh, 27 ERA so far. So. He has not exactly uh, been lights out for for Worcester. Uh, Bizarro not eligible to come up to the club until September third because he's on the sixty day. An interesting name that I didn't put on the agenda uh, is Alex Claudio, who was actually claimed off of waivers from uh, the Angels. Uh, he threw an inning and a third clean um, for for Worcester. I'm actually kind of intrigued by him as well. Um, yeah. and, and Matt Andres has pitched pretty well in August. Four innings, um, no earned runs, .75 uh, whip for, for Worcester. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yaxel Rios is down there now as well. I mean, how does this all shake out in your mind? What's the best bullpen? Put, put, put together the best bullpen for me. 
Yeah, so, and this kind of goes along with, we should talk about Richards and Perez too, right? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll ask you that first. Are Richards and Perez both in your ideal bullpen? I need more data before I can answer it, but I will say I have been intrigued by Richards and Perez out of the pen. Both of their stuff has looked better out of the pen than it has as a starter, and I think that there is a lot to the whole the best relievers are failed starters uh, thing. And um, I kind of, you know, I'm... I'm more optimistic. After seeing Richards in that three-inning save uh, versus Baltimore, I'm kind of thinking that those guys might work out. And, you know, why not have a guy who has three three or four pitches out of the pen? Gives you more stuff that you're able to go to uh, in, in those shorter stints. So, yeah, I, I guess I'd rather have those guys than any of these questionable bullpen arms. Yeah. And um, I'm – kind of giving you a half answer here because a month ago I would have said that only one of them should be in the bullpen but now that we're at August 17th we're two weeks away from the rosters expanding to 28 and they have two days off this week and they have one day off next week and then that brings you to that September 1st date so I think at this point with what they're paying them and being that close to adding two names to the roster to get to 28 I think they're going to keep both of them um, so I'm kind of going with a 14-man um, staff in September, right, that needs to be cut down. And you got your five starters and, and Hope being the fifth. Yeah. So I put nine names down for September, which is kind of cheating. But I'm more looking at at that, which will tell us a lot about October. So I got Barnes, Whitlock, Taylor, Ottavino, Salamora. Perez and Richards so that's seven mm-hmm. and then I've got Darwin's in or Davis as your third lefty as mm-hmm. the eighth and then the ninth is Brazier Claudio and Robles so I would say I, if Darwin's in's healthy that's your third lefty for me mm-hmm. yeah I'd take him over Davis too just because the stuff plays better in the playoffs yeah and then, I don't know. I mean, if Brazier's got a 27 ERA, then you can't go with him. But um, I guess for September, I would hope that he's the ninth arm, but probably wouldn't. I would probably cut him off for October. I weirdly feel more confident about Ryan Brazier and Claudio than I do Hansel Robles at this point. Yeah. And there's Rios, too. Forgot. Rios was in that four righties. Yeah. Brazier, Claudio, Robles, Rios, one of those. Yeah, I'm kind of... Part of me is like, well... I, I get wanting to preserve the bullpen depth here and give yourself the most options. And, you know, like you you mentioned, rosters are going to expand uh, coming up here. But I felt like Rios deserved to stay in the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, I think the only reason he got sent down is because you can't send down Robles, you can't send down Perez, you can't send down Richards. Uh, those are all guys you'd have to DFA. Right. So. Yeah, no, I think that was just simply a... A roster crunch. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he throws 100 some nights. He, he looks really good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be totally fine with him as that last arm, at least for September. And then you talk to me in a month, and we'll reevaluate if it's a, a one-game or a five-game playoff that we're looking at and what kind of a roster you're putting together for that. Yeah, yeah, that does change a lot of things. Um, what was your impression of Richards and, and Perez out of relief? Uh, did you like one more than the other? How did you think their stuff looked? Yeah, I R- Richards did look good the other night out of the bullpen. I was glad that he kind of took that that role and went with it and came out and pitched confidently. I mean, he was pretty efficient in those three innings. I would give a slight edge to him. I thought it was interesting when Cora sent Perez to the bullpen. He just sent him back out there the next He started one day and then pitched in relief the next day, which... <laughs> You don't get taken out of the rotation and then pitch in the bullpen the next day too often. Um, yeah, I would. I think Richards looked a little bit better, but I don't know. I could see Perez when he's pitching well, looking pretty good one through one time through the lineup. Um, but you got to get him out. I mean, if he looks bad for three hitters, you got to get him out of there because he can blow up so quickly, and I think can have 
you know, quicker blow up than, than Richards could. Yeah, he, he relies too much on called strikes uh, for me to really like him in a relief role. So I, I do have to go with Richards there. Um, my concern with Richards, though, and I've stated this a bunch on this podcast, so I apologize if I'm repeating this for you guys, but, you know, I know he didn't take well to the news of yeah. being demoted to the bullpen, and he very much thinks of himself as a starting pitcher. So I, I worry about his presence becoming a little bit cancerous uh, in that clubhouse if, you know, he decides one day he doesn't really like his role. Yeah, well, they should show him his whip, and maybe he'll change his mind. <laughs> yeah, just bring out the stats. Yeah. All right, just here we go. One-page printout here, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that about does it for, for our main topics of the night. Um, but we do have a bunch of great listener questions that we are going to get to right now. Our first comes from Gavin Blackburn. Um, and uh, we, the, you're the perfect guy to have on for this question, Bob. He says, today's Baseball America farm system rankings at nine still includes Duran. How far do you think they fall when he's no longer a prospect, assuming he stays up enough to no longer qualify? Uh, so he should graduate this year, um, or at least come very close. I think he will graduate uh, because of when they called him up. But that's a good question. Right now, he ranks second on the list of uh, Baseball America's top 30, just ahead of Marcelo Meyer. Uh, where would you uh, have this group of players without Jaron Duran in it? Yeah, and I think it's 45 days of service, uh, so he'll probably, in a couple of weeks, drop off of that list. Um, and, yeah, so they're ninth, and that's they've made a lot of progress from a year ago where they were in the lower half. I think you saw a lot of 18th to 20th range, and it sucks losing Aldo. Uh, he was my guy, and they've lost, um, you know, a lot of, pitchers to to arm injuries that are still in the system and long term hopefully will will be involved but some of those pitching injuries hurts um and i would feel a little better about this going forward if it wasn't for you know ward and and mata and you know part of the year with with Seabold missing with the arm injury and and bizarro was hurt a lot of the year and there's just hasn't been a ton of consistency with the pitchers yeah but they just added in my opinion, the best prospect in the draft in Marcel Meyer. Uh, he'll slide in nicely right where Duran was on the list. You know, that probably incorporated Meyer as well. But you throw that with with Cassius and Gilberto Jimenez and Hauk still being a prospect. And I've just, with York and Groom and Blaze Jordan, who have all gotten off to some... I don't want to say good starts because it's August already, but have been playing really well. Um, I have, and, and Bayo, Bayo, of course, you know, yeah, playing in the Futures there. game. So there are some injuries, and we're going to talk about one other prospect, uh, Mr. Downs, towards the end of this as well, that has been slightly disappointing. But I feel that they're just in way better shape uh, in the minor league system than they were. And I still think, to, to answer your question, I still think they would be in the top half, you know, yeah, 12th something around that range even losing Duran I agree with you and I, and I think that it does have to do with the selection of of Mayer um definitely the breakout of Bayo um Nick York just being an absolute beast over the last like month and a half of of hitting he's just been incredible one yeah. of the better pitchers um really justifying that selection uh, that the Red Sox took him at um, two years ago, so that really looks. They're looking very smart. Blaze Jordan, um, I really like that you pointed him out because that was a guy who I really didn't believe in very much, and uh, he's been gangbusters since he started. And then, but just little wet, uh, depth names that the Red Sox have been able to acquire: Winkleman Gonzalez, Josh Winkowski, um, yes. guys like that. Um, Chi Jung Lu, who we don't know a ton about, but like is an interesting arm. Jeremy Wu Yelland pitching well, still with some control issues, but like all of those guys um, are just those those depth moves that have paid off uh, from from Bloom, and we're still waiting on some of the guys from the international class that we don't know a ton about. Miguel Blaise, uh, Brandon Bonacci, we want to see him play more. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot more meat here, and this is one of the reasons why I was a little bit critical of Bloom's 
deadline is because you know you could have you could have dealt from guys 11 through 30 in this system and still went out and added some significant pieces yeah yeah i and i mentioned earlier i don't know what the exact equivalent would be in a rizzo deal but i did feel and i know he's trying to sustain some long-term success wants to have you know a dodger system that can replenish whenever you have an injury and it takes time to do that well Unfortunately, we were <laughs> fortunately we were a year ahead of the plan, and you need to adjust a little bit. And I, I do wish they made one more move from the the top thirty prospects, and I still think they would have been in good shape here. If you offer Aldo, Lugo, and Potts for Rizzo, yeah. I think that's just as good or, or not better than the package that the uh, the Cubs got from the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, I think that that would be very similar. Yeah. All right, good question there. Um, Our next question comes from Jason Crane, and he says, this is not Sox related, and I could probably just Google it. True, true. Um, But are there any MLB teams left that have never been good? Uh, So many of these classic curses have been broken. Examples, the Cubs and the Sox. Uh, I think he probably means both the Red Sox and the White Sox, because the White Sox was actually... What was it, like 96 years when that was broken in 2005? So that was a long one. Um, I think the longest drought right now goes to the um, Cleveland baseball team, the future Cleveland Guardians. I think that's at like 50-something years. Yeah. Um, I mean, who, who would be on your list of teams for, for this question? Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, 1948, and just an absolute turning point for two franchises in that rain delay in game seven between the Indians and the Cubs. I One of the great non-Red Sox but baseball experiences I've ever had is watching that game and just knowing as a, a MLB history guy, which I know you are as well, Jake, um, mm-hmm. just two franchises that were at a fork in the road right there. You know, they go into a rain delay going into extra innings in game seven and the Cubs pull it out. So, yeah, that Indians slash Guardians 1948 being the last title that they had that's the first one that came to mind for me the other one is the mariners now they've never won a title they haven't been around as long i want to say maybe the 70s but they also haven't made the playoffs since 2001 and i don't know what's worse if you're an india indian slash guardians fan that for seven decades hasn't seen a title or um the mariners not making the playoffs for 20 years and not having a title in those 40 years those are the first two that come to mind for me and it it irritates me every time I see the Mariners uh, not totally going for it when they have a good team. I mean, they had that Ichiro team that won 110 or so games um, in the early 2000s and, and couldn't win a title with that. Yeah, it's interesting that you came to that conclusion, too, because the other team that I was going to mention is the Mariners, so we were on the same wavelength <laughs> there. Um, I actually think it would be much worse to be a Mariners uh, fan than it would be to be an Indians fan uh, or a Guardians fan or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Guardians. Let's go with Guardians. We'll go with that. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the reason why is just you don't have the rich history uh, that the Cleveland franchise has with some of the better players in all of baseball. Uh, you know, Knapp, Lajui uh, from way back. Uh, then they also had... Um, Tris Speaker, who was a great with the Red Sox. I mean, they've had some amazing pitchers there. Um, they, they've had a lot of his, historic success. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that the Mariners, man, they had some loaded teams. Like Griffey, uh, Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez. You, you tell me all those guys together couldn't win anything? It's just like, it's torture thinking about how good the talent that has been in Seattle and not won anything has yeah. been. They went 116 and 46 <laughs> and it's lost crazy. in five games in the ALCS to uh, to New York. That's the last time that they made the playoffs. That and is just brutal. Yeah, those Hall of Famers that you're mentioning there, Ichiro, Edgar, uh, Griffey wasn't on that team anymore, but um, you throw that out there, Randy Johnson... That team was an absolute wagon, 
and they haven't made the playoff. 116 to not being back <laughs> is just yeah. mind-blowing. So I, I'm with you. I'd rather be a Cleveland fan, and Cleveland had those other near misses as well in the 90s with your Manny, Tome, Alomar, um, mm-hmm. Bell teams that were uh, a little looper up the middle off of uh, Charlie Nagy's glove within another World Series. So they've had some heartbreaks, but I'd rather that. I'd rather I'd rather have some interesting games and, and memorable playoff games than just not being there. Yeah, I mean, any Cleveland fan that is listening to this podcast by chance is just screaming at us right now, I know. especially if they're our age, because 95 losing 4-2 to two to the Braves in that series – then losing in seven in uh, 97 to the Marlins of all teams, and then losing again in 2016 in yeah. the best baseball game I think I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just craziness. So, yeah. Well, we're happy to be uh, to be your Google, Jason. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're much more fun than Google. Uh, next question comes from Zangarang. He says, sales return this past Saturday has gotten me thinking about the playoffs. Come October, if the standings end up how they are now, we make it to a wild card. Who starts in the wild card game? Would you trust Sale, Eovaldi, uh, one of those other starters with Whitlock or Hauk Piggyback? It's a really interesting question. Who would be your go-to guy in a one-game playoff? Yeah, if the rotation lines up. Right, you 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 didn't need to use one of those pitchers on Saturday and Sunday to get into that wild card game. If you got rotation lining up, I'm I'm gonna go with Sale if he looks like himself. Um, you know, I've got Whitlock ready for seven to nine outs and hope Sale gets to the sixth inning. And you know, in in a one game, I just want to use Sale, Whitlock, Barnes, and hope that that's enough. Yeah, I'm with you. Um... As much as I like the way Eovaldi's pitched this year, it's just not comparable to Sale when he's on. So yep. um, that that's my guy who I'm riding with. Uh, and if you have the luxury to have the choice between Sale and Eovaldi for that game, you know if something looks off with Sale, you're going to Eovaldi because there is no tomorrow. Yep. So, yeah. Good question, though. Uh, Cody Hudman has our next question. Uh, how much playing time do we think Shaw will get? Maybe spelling Bobby D every once in a while uh, when Bobby D is not hot. Uh, straight platoon when he cools off. I think that's an interesting question. You were saying maybe one time a week. Um, I think he might play maybe a little more than that. Maybe a couple times a week. This kind of goes to the... I mean, I just don't think Bobby Dalvex is as good as people think he is. Uh, even after this like hot streak this past week... I am just still not impressed by so many of his at-bats. Yeah, and when he's slumping, it is infuriating <laughs> to to see the 0 for 4 with, with 3 Ks. And I love rooting for the guy, and I loved watching this weekend, you know. Double dong on Sunday or Saturday, the, the 16 to 2 win. Um, and, I mean, you know. You know he's got 40 homer pop. Sure. But... He strikes out 36% of the time. And if you combine the month last year, 38% of the time since he's been in the league. And I'm just not convinced that that is the full-time first baseman for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I think two days a week is fair. I just don't know that it's Shaw that starts two days a week. You know, I I think it could be some other players that that they potentially work in. And we see what happens with with Schwarber when he is healthy enough to give that a shot, which it sounded at least initially like he was open to doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, It makes the roster a lot easier to figure out how to optimize it if you can get Schwarber's bat over at first base. Um, But, yeah, I'm tending to to lean with you that Dahlbeck's going to have to make major changes um, if he wants to be a viable, close-to-everyday guy. You know, in that series against the Orioles, as good as he played, he still struck out with the bases loaded. Uh, and he, he he does that just way too often uh, for, for my liking. Yep. Uh, Angel Rondon has our next question. He says, is Kike Hernandez the second best signing of the offseason? Behind Marcus Simeon, of course, who got a one-year deal. 
That's an interesting question. Marcus Simeon's had an amazing season. Kike Hernandez has had an on-base percentage over 400 for the last month uh, out of the leadoff spot. Um, he's been great, but, I mean, would he be the second-best deal of the offseason for you? It's really interesting, and I looked at it a little bit, and I, I think that it, you can make a reasonable case for it. I mean, Real Muto got a lot of money. But he's been good. You know, he's been been worth the money that, that he got so far. There's a, a couple of players who've had some off the field issues that have not been worth the contracts that they got. Uh, Desclafani was one for me. I know that yeah, he has. I mean, he's been a, an anchor for that staff in San Francisco, who has the the best. Uh, you know, do they still have the best record in baseball? I believe they do. They do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Seventy six wins, which is just insane, and. Desclafani was on the, the scrap heap and I think was just a few million. So that was the only other one that I thought was close. I think Melanson, the closer in San Diego, uh, went for, for pretty cheap, and he's been a good one-year signing as well. But, geez, Kike has been... Looking at what he has done over the last two months, like you know that he's been hot, but then you see some of it in print. I know that there's just been some tweets that have been going around recently to just show for how long he's been this hot for. So I think you can absolutely make the case for that. Yeah. The other name that came to mind, and I, I know that on a dollar per dollar amount, uh, this player definitely doesn't qualify, uh, for this, but you know, um, you have to like the way that the George Springer contract oh, yeah. looks for the, the blue Jays, a team that, you know, clearly was trying to move into, contention now um i think you could even make the case that the robbie ray signing by the blue jays uh, is up there uh for one of the better ones so yep. the the blue jays were absolutely on fire this offseason with yeah. with the deals that they got done so yeah, you just have to look over the, the next two three years i mean <laughs> after the the barrios trade that they made and that lineup is uh, this division is going to be fascinating for years yeah, totally. I'm Toronto scares the crap out of me. <laughs> uh, Jeff Wax has our next question. He says, "Should we sign Bartolo Colon?" It's almost like he knew you were coming on the podcast. <laughs> well, do, do I have some sort of history there? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's just you know you laughing at the Bartolo Colon gifs that get posted in uh, the the group chats that we're on that made yes. me think that you'd like this one. Well, do you remember how? his tenure in Boston ended in no. 2008. They, uh, Francona took him out of the rotation and he just went home and he didn't <laughs> tell anybody. He just went back to the Dominican Republic and bounced. And that was in 2008 when he was 35 years old and seemingly at the end of his career. And after that pitched 10 more years, pitched till 2018 in Texas when he was 45 years old. I mean, it's just a fascinating baseball reference page if you are looking to kill five minutes at some point. Uh, but, yeah, no, he was in Boston. He threw 39 innings here in 2008 and did not – he took the demotion worse than Garrett Richards did, let's put it that way, and just went home and didn't tell anybody. That is amazing. Yeah, I totally so. blocked that out of my mind, I think, because uh, of the Rays, uh, Red Sox – Situation. Yeah. In 2008, I've tried to forget. Yeah, as it's much not surprising that he he couldn't make that rotation because that was arguably their best team in an absolute wagon. But yeah, we can, let's not talk about that race series. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question comes from Greg Drake. He says, "Any thoughts on BA moving the Sox farm system into the top 10? Uh, I I would just say that you know my quick thoughts on it are are that it's due. Um, this is one of the things that we've been talking about on this show, and I'm sure you and Shelly have been talking about it on your show, is that you know this Red Sox farm system is good. I've been telling people that this is a top third farm system. Uh, so to finally see it get ranked as a top third farm system was really kind of gratifying to me. Yeah. And all of just the, the small moves, and in some cases bigger moves, you know, it, think of Benintendi which if you put his numbers against anyone in the outfield you talk about Kike and you talk about Renfro and Verdugo they they haven't really missed a beat with that as, as much as I 
didn't love the trade at the time. They got Winkowski out of that, and I think he is kind of um, creeping up some of the prospect lists and has looked pretty good overall, and they got some depth pieces in that deal. And you just go back to some of the, the smaller, you look at the the Whitlock deal, who is no longer a prospect, but when he was on the list, in addition to that, you know, it, it looked even better. Um, so just like small 40-man moves, the Moreland trade and uh, the, the Hembry trade, bringing in Pavetta and Seabold, they really did some good things in a lost year that at the time probably, you know, weren't on the front page. But I think they slowly but surely have worked this thing up. Yeah, and these are the moves that when you look at them, uh, separate Bloom from from Dombrowski in the way that they operate. And I think that oh, yeah. a lot of times when we talk about the comparison between Bloom and Dombrowski, um, we don't give Dombrowski enough credit. Uh, for for what his strengths are, you know, I think Dombrowski would have never had a deadline like Bloom had um, with a team that was you know competing for the division. Uh, yeah. He would have been much more aggressive, much more decisive, um, and that he just was didn't the thing. Philly. Exactly, yeah, exactly, and we see that Phillies team charging, you know, towards the top of that division and challenging for a playoff spot. Um, that part of being a GM is underrated. Uh, and I, I think that Bloom's talent of making moves around the fringes is also very underrated, but you need to appreciate both styles for sure. Yep. And, and we, we can't uh, forget how many times Dombrowski has gotten it right with making that choice between, you know, do I trade Moncada or do I trade Devers? You know, he, make, he makes the right choice a lot of the time. So Yeah, yeah I, I and I think the, the last year that he was here kind of sticks out for people a lot, but you know, flags fly forever and Dombrowski won a title and made some very good deals. But yeah, I think there's a a sour taste towards the end for some people, myself included. Yeah, totally. Uh, You, you merge both of them together and you get a perfect GM. (laughs) Right. You get Farhan Zaidi or, you know, Andrew Friedman or, or one of those guys. So, yeah, uh, Vegas baby has our last question of the night. Uh, is it time to have a very Brady conversation about Jeter Downs? Uh, which is worse for his confidence, a demotion to Portland or continuing to run out nightly offers? He'd need a two-week hot streak just to sniff the Mendoza line at this point. Yeah, he has struggled, man. It's uh, it's shocking. I hadn't really been paying attention to his numbers, and then I looked at his numbers today. Um, it's alarming. And it was... It was crazy. Um, yeah, so I have his updated line right here through today. 181, 270, 305 with a 575 OPS on the season, over 259 at-bats. That is horrible. Yeah, and it's getting worse is the part that concerns me because in his last 11 games, he's 2 for 37 with 19 Ks. Um and if you go, I don't know, we'll go back another two weeks. So since July 16th, a month ago, he's 8 for 82 with 35 strikeouts. That's an 098 average over the last 30 days. Oh. So that's my concern is that it's getting worse and the strikeout rate is getting worse. And what's more damaging, having him sit at home for months looking at a 180 average or moving him down to double a at a level that he never really got to play at because of the pandemic and maybe get on a hot streak and have that challenge and have a few weeks of putting the bat on the ball and hopefully go into the off season with a positive because i'm just worried that he's gonna go home with a 170 average and a 240 obp and get trashed all off season and We've done irreparable damage here. And Shelly made this point a week ago on the pod, saying, like, is it time to do that? I, it hadn't even crossed my mind until until she asked me that question on, on the On Deck last week. And, I, you know, it's, it's yeah. a valid point. It is. It's just so taboo uh, to do it in the minor yeah. leagues. You know, when you, get, you, when you move a guy up a level, the thought is that if you move him down, you demote a guy, that that is more confidence crushing than anything else sure uh and and basically saying to the guy i don't think you can figure it out at this level um so that's the thing that worries me about it um 
I'd almost rather a IL stint for him, like a you know muscle strain or something like that, and have him yeah. just work in the cage and and figure it out with the coaching staff at Worcester, and then maybe have a, a good last week of the season there. Um, than than the demotion at this point. That's kind of sure. where I'm at with him. Yeah, and I I certainly don't know the answer. <laughs> no, yeah. um, but. I can see both sides, and and I I, you know, I don't know what that would do for his confidence one way or another. I mean, he really didn't. He's twenty three, so at twenty three, sending him down a double A, it's not like he would be crazy old for that level. And he he played twelve games there, and you know you hear that that is just the most important level to to master. And in hindsight, maybe sending him there for a month wouldn't have been the worst thing. But what's done is done. Yep. The the hay is in the barn, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, that has been our show today. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this last hour of Red Sox baseball talk with myself and Bob. Uh, you can follow Bob on Twitter. Bob, where can they find you? I'm at Bob Osgood15 on Twitter. All right. The 15th Bob Osgood on Twitter. Right. Jake's and, at Big uh, Fudge. <laughs> yeah, I'm at, at Big Fudge. Uh, no, don't don't put that in your computer. I don't know what'll come up. Um, but yeah, find me at, at Dev Jake. Find the Over the Monster site at, at Over the Monster, um, and check out the other shows on the network. I always plug these at the end of the show. But you know, if you haven't checked out Bob and Shelley on the Red Sox on Deck show, uh, check out their work over there. Um, Matt and Brian on the Over the Monster podcast, and then. Keaton and Shelley on the Precap Podcast. So thanks very much for joining us, Bob. Thank you. And we'll be with you again next week.